0: What's up, NFL fans? Welcome back to another episode of the NFL Whip Around. I am Jeff Hartman, joined as always by KT Smith. We are riding high today, Steeler fans. Why? Because they're in the freaking playoffs. Coach, what's up? Yeah,
1: Steeler fans. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'm gonna I gotta give uh, my man Jeff here some credit. He saw, he predicted that a few weeks back when we were looking at teams we thought would get in, and I did not believe the Steelers would make it. So, uh, kudos to Jeff on that.
0: Well, thankfully, when we did the, the the rundown, and when I say we, Coach did the rundown. The fifth and final topic here is on the Steelers. So we're gonna save all the Steelers talk till then. Till then, <laughs> so if you're a Steelers fan, you gotta listen to all this other stuff first. Let's get this show on the road. Black Monday has come and gone, and there's been a lot of coaches that have been fired, and more to come. Now, some of them have not been official, like a uh, Bill Belichick. He has not officially been released as of this being recorded. But yeah, gosh, I mean, Sunday night at twelve o two. Uh, That's when Arthur Smith gets the ax earlier on Monday, Ron Rivera gets the ax and that's already adding to the Carolina Panthers job, the Las Vegas Raiders, which maybe they'll keep Antonio Pierce. No one knows Uh, the LA Chargers rumored that Jim Harbaugh could be interviewing with one of the Las Vegas or Los Angeles Chargers teams. That's interesting, but man, look at all the jobs that are out there. Coach, my question for you is if you had to pick one, which is you think is the best gig?
1: I think the Chargers' job's certainly the most tempting because of Justin Herbert and the big market there, and you're you know you're you probably have the opportunity to attract some some decent free agents to Los Angeles. But I think the I think the Vegas job's a sneaky good job. I think that they've got some a good infrastructure there, a good defense. Uh, I think that they have a, a young quarterback in Aiden O'Connell, who's somebody worth taking a look at. Uh, I, I don't know if he's a franchise guy, but I think he's. If you're a first year coach, a piece that you can work with. But I think the big thing is like you know Mark Davis is a Davis as an owner, which means that he uh, he's unpredictable and he can be reactive and, and you don't, you don't know what he's going to do and that would make you a little bit nervous. But I think he's eager to build and establish uh, an est- a, a established identity in Las Vegas. That's a town that right now. The, the Raiders are like a third-string town there. I mean, that, that's they have more of an allegiance to the Golden Knights in yeah. Vegas right now because that was theirs from the beginning. Whereas the Raiders are still kind of a borrowed franchise. I think he's very eager to make it uh, a Raiders town, and I think he's willing to do whatever he needs to do to get it there. So if you're a coach, I think you look at Vegas and you say, I think the owner's going to be all in, and I think there's enough pieces there to win. So. You know, L.A.'s tempting with the Chargers, but I think the Raiders is an attractive option, too.
0: Let me ask you this about the Chargers, because you're right. You have Justin Herbert. Obviously, he's he's an up-and-coming young star in the league in terms of the quarterback position. Do you think that there's almost, maybe if there's a coach out there that's looking at the jobs available, and maybe he's like, man, they just paid Herbert that huge contract. I'd rather just get my guy. Like, let me go to a Carolina. Now, granted, they don't have the number one overall pick because that's traded to Chicago. We know that. Or maybe get, get me to Atlanta where I can pick my guy. There's no quarterback already established there. Desmond Ritter's not the guy, nor is Taylor Henicky. Maybe even Washington could be another job. Washington has, what is it, the second overall pick or third overall pick, I think. I have the draft order here. Let me take a quick look. They have the second overall draft pick in the draft. So while I understand and agree that L.A. looks like a really attractive job for someone that wants an established quarterback, I think for, if they're a head coach that wants to bring in his guy, maybe that's not the most attractive option. Do you see that as viable, or do you think that's all
1: BS? Well, you're totally right about the contract. We're, we're starting to see around the league the albatross that some of these contracts can become. And if you can get a young guy uh, who... who proves to be successful early on and you can have that early success and build a team around him that that's a, almost a preferable way to go uh Washington is intriguing for that reason right Let, let's say that that you that you like one of these high-end quarterbacks maybe I you know I don't I haven't scouted the quarterbacks well enough to know who right. all the draft guys prefer but but you know you're going to get a, a shot at a Caleb Williams or a Michael Penix at, with the number two pick in the draft and. And if you're an offensive-minded coach, then that's certainly something that, that's attractive to you. And, and Washington still has a pretty solid defense. I know they traded a couple of key pieces away, but uh it's you know it's a competitive division with with Philadelphia and Dallas there. But at the same time, the new ownership group seems to want to remake the the the, the commanders in not in Daniel Snyder's image. Yeah. So that could be sneaky good as well.
0: I'll say the the least attractive, in my opinion, is the New England Patriots. I think that job is the least attractive because you talk about Washington. You talked about Las Vegas. You talk about L.A., even Atlanta. Atlanta has pieces there. You talk about B. John Robinson, Derek London, uh, Kyle Pitts. Like They have pieces there. They're not devoid of talent. Same with Washington. Maybe you don't believe in Sam Howell, but at the same time, they have talent, whether it's Samuel, McLaren, all these players. like They're not horrible I look at New England's roster and think it is the worst of all these rosters that are available for a head coaching position. Not only that, you're losing Belichick, the GM. You're you're not having a, a super high draft pick. Uh, let me take a look at the list quick. The Patriots, I'm sorry, they're the third overall pick. So that's another situation there. But I think you feel like you're starting from scratch. you agree or
1: disagree? Yeah, I think that it's kind of been a classic case in New England of the legend I don't want to say Belichick hung on too long, but they didn't really, they they gave him so much control and they didn't sort of reinforce from the bottom up there. And so now when he leaves, uh, he go, he walks out the door and they're sort of left like, well, what now? And that's the, that's the one position you don't want to be in, in the NFL. You don't want to be in the position where you feel as though you're starting over without any real direction. They're going to need a new coach, a new quarterback, a new GM, all the, all of the above. And the roster is not that talented. And so they could be facing some dark years in New England unless they can really – got to ace this offseason in all three of those areas. they got to get the right quarterback, right coach, right GM, and that's a tough thing to do all at once.
0: Absolutely it is. And, and by the way, again, it's not official that Belichick is leaving. Maybe they figure something out. Maybe he stays. I don't know. If the Washington Commanders, though, they bring – Bella check down and he says, I'm going to be the GM. I think that could be the worst thing to happen to that organization. That would be following the Daniel Snyder model, in my opinion. And there were rumors over the weekend that Josh McDaniels was in New England. And for the, the regular season finale, if they give that guy another head coaching job, then you know what? You deserve to lose. You deserve to be a miserable organization. If that's what you do, I'm not a believer in any of that stuff. Coach,
1: any final thoughts on the coaching carousel? Well, there've been there've been a few Belichick uh, proteges linked to the the New England job. Uh, Mike Vrabel's name's been floated around mm-hmm. as in a possible trade scenario. Uh, I heard a couple others earlier today, and and I would just think if you're the Patriots, like make that a clean break. You know, I, I don't. I think that they need to start over. If they're gonna if they're gonna move on from Belichick, then then they should move on. They should embrace change. Embrace having the opportunity now for the first time in the 21st century to hire a football coach and and do it, doing a, you know, a detailed search and and get the guy who you think is the best guy to lead the team into the future. Not a, not a retread, not a guy with Belichick connections, just a guy that, that can breathe some fresh life into that franchise. Cause it needs it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's go to the next topic. We're looking ahead into the playoffs of the teams that did not make the playoffs, teams that are now looking at draft order and they're officially in full on offseason mode. Of the teams that didn't make the playoffs, which one was the most surprising to you, coach?
1: For me it's Jacksonville because they you you look at you look back to um, 6 weeks ago, they're 8 and 3. The the projections have them are giving them a 98% chance to make the playoffs. They've got a good young quarterback coming off of a a surprisingly deep playoff run last season with the big comeback win in that first round and then they you know they really pushed kansas city in in the divisional round and they just looked like a team that was ready to take the next step and and you thought at midseason maybe jacksonville could have had a shot at the number one seed and then they closed the season going one in five in the last six games but when you look at why they went one in five it's really like it's just football 101 they they, they did the things you can't do they in the, in the, in those last six games, they, they were minus 10 in the turnover department and in their five losses, they gave up 157 yards rushing a game. When you, when you turn the ball over on offense and you can't stop the run on defense, you don't win. So Jacksonville is going to have to take a, a long look at its roster. They kind of ran it back this year with the same roster they had last year. They didn't make a lot of changes and they're going to have to ask themselves the question, uh, whether or not they're a physical enough football team, they're going to have to really think long and hard about bolstering their line on both sides of the ball.
0: Yeah, that's that's a, that's not um, it's not a bad pick. It, but when I look at all the teams that didn't make the playoffs, and I'm assuming that we're not asking on the cusp like a fringe team like Jacksonville, which was a win away from getting into the postseason, I, I've got to go with the Chargers. <laughs> Tell me, someone in their right mind—you know this isn't a Joe Burrow's hurt done for the year, Cincinnati's going to struggle situation. Justin Herbert was playing for the vast majority of the year. How in the hell do they finish five and twelve?
1: Like, Brandon, Stale. That-
0: <laughs> Brandon- <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yes, but yes, yes and no. It's not all Brandon Staley. No, that team not. has a lot no. of talent, and. How they finish five and twelve? I don't even get it. I don't get it. So yes, I think Jacksonville's low hanging fruit. I think that's the obvious pick because again, one win away. Even Indianapolis, which was one win away, but they didn't have their quarterback. They're at Gardner Minshew as their quarterback. I think most people would say that they they outperformed expectations once Anthony Richardson was put on injured reserve and his season was done. But man, the Los Angeles Chargers were supposed to be this AFC powerhouse competing with. The Kansas City Chiefs in the AFC West and almost felt like they should be a lock to make the playoffs. And again, they finish five and twelve. I don't get it. I mean, because you can just talk about Brett, Yeah. You know, not I to said Brett Favre. You can almost talk about Aaron Rodgers in New York. I mean, he goes down week one. That changes the whole trajectory of the season for the Jets. Again, I, I, I got to charge for the Chargers here because I feel like that's that's absolutely the worst.
1: So real real quick on the Chargers. So the, so the two, the two teams that were the most aggressive in the NFL going for it on fourth down this year were the lions and the chargers. And I think that there's a really interesting distinction between those two teams. The lions lived it, you know, like that, that was who the lions were. Dan Campbell embraced, like, we're not backing down from anything. I mean, my gosh, they basically had nothing to play for on Sunday in the season finale. They played all their starters. I mean, he's just basically like, we're a go for it team because that's going to be our DNA. And Brandon Staley always got the feeling that he was a go for it guy because that's what the metric said. And that he was committed to like the numbers, but he didn't really understand why. And he didn't impart into his team that this is going to be our identity. We're going to be super aggressive. We're going to, you know, it just, it, it never felt like he got the messaging right there. And I think that's really important with the team. You got to have an identity. And I don't know, you know, here, here are the Chargers, they had this guy amazing young quarterback and and you you think that they're going to be so productive but they they never they never like knocked your socks off when you watched them play you never were like man the chargers look great at blank whatever the blank might be and i think that lack of an identity really hurt them and i think that's important from the head coach
0: and i think that what you said is very spot on that identity can come in a million different shapes and forms it doesn't have to be we are a ground and pound team. It can be an identity, but it doesn't have to look like that. It could be like you said with Dan Campbell that team is going to go for it on fourth down. Everyone in the stadium knows it. The other team knows it. And the Detroit Lions know it. Their identity is that Brandon Staley did not have that identity. Do you think, could you hang the season on a coach? Like, could you say, okay, 5 and 12? Yes, Herbert got put on the shelf once they were eliminated from the playoffs. But can you say, like, okay, Brandon Staley was awful That's why we lost so many games. Can you say that? Or do you think it's also a collective of team failure?
1: I think it's a collective, but I mean, the coach sets the tone. The coach establishes the culture. And when you look in the col- at the culture with the Chargers, it's just broken. And I don't know enough about the Chargers to, to know exactly why, but it started with that playoff loss last year to Jacksonville when they blew the 27-0 lead. And where it felt like when they needed to hang their hat on something just to close that ball game out, they didn't have it. And that's just who they were to me all year long—a team that didn't have something they could hang their hat on. And if you don't have that, it's very hard to win in the NFL.
0: I agree. I agree, hundred percent. Always got to bring up the Chargers one last time before the off season comes. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's go to our third topic: the wild card playoff games on tap for this weekend. There's some storylines in this one. You've got yeah. you've got Mike McCarthy, Dallas Cowboys going against his former team the Green Bay Packers. You've got Tyreek Hill going back to Arrowhead against his former team the Kansas City Chiefs. You have the storyline that we talked about last week, Matthew Stafford going back to Detroit in a little bit of a reunion there with his former team. Out of all the this is not just storyline based. There's a lot of intrigue in this wild card round. Which matchup are you most excited to see and why?
1: Yeah, so I I love all those storylines. the the Jared Goff versus versus uh, Matthew Stafford thing is going to mm-hmm. be really interesting, but I'm most interested in seeing Miami go to Kansas City on a on a day where they're projecting the the weather in Kansas City to be uh, zero degrees with a wind chill somewhere between minus fifteen and minus thirty. Minus fifteen and minus thirty for the warm <laughs> weather Miami Dolphins that loss on Sunday night to the Buffalo Bills was devastating for the Dolphins because rather than sit at home in South Florida, they now have to go to Kansas City into, you know, a frozen hell. And, and I'm most, most interested in seeing, like, how do the Miami Dolphins with their offense, which has been really captivating, everybody's loved watching them, that basketball on grass philosophy, are they built for January, right? That, that's the really interesting thing to me. I don't think that they are. I think that that the, what they're what they do is great for the regular season. But when you get to the playoffs, I mean, I'm pretty old school with a lot of my thinking. I still believe that football revolves around blocking and tackling and toughness. And there was a play in their game Sunday night where it was 21-14 Buffalo with the lead and the Bills are trying to run out the clock and the Dolphins have to get a stop to get the ball back. And Josh Allen ran the ball on a designed run and a defender on the Dolphins, I can't remember who it was, a defensive back, had a chance to come up and tackle him short of the first down marker, and he just didn't do it. I mean, it was he made zero effort to tackle Josh Allen. And as soon as I watched that, I said to me, "That is that's not a playoff team. That you know that that's not a team that's going to succeed in January." So I'll be fascinated to see what happens when Miami goes out to Kansas City. I will not be shocked if the Chiefs blow them out.
0: Well, let me say a couple things. If Miami wins this game. We are not going to be talking about Tua, Tyreek, or Jalen Waddle. We're going to be talking about Mostert and Achan. They're going to have to run the football. You talked about the elements. Let me ask you about the elements. Coach, you've coached for a long time, and I'm sure you've coached in some crazy conditions, both heat, cold, wind, whatever. You're right on the ocean. I'm sure you see a lot of it. If you are in Miami, your team is in South Beach. How in the hell do you even try to get your team ready for a game that's going to be zero degrees with a negative whatever wind chill. You can't just turn the air conditioning on in your facility and say,
1: This is good enough. Do, what, what, <laughs> is there anything that you can do? I'd get them the hell out of South Florida right now, man. I'd get them out of there as fast as I can, man, and into the harsher environment and let them acclimate as best as possible. I remember we played a, a game in college up at Union College in Schenectady, New York, uh in the snow. The only game I ever played in the snow in my life. And our coach when we got off the bus, after it was an eight-hour bus ride up to Schenectady, we got off the bus and he took us right onto the game field in in shorts and t-shirts for like twenty minutes, and he made us just run around in shorts and t-shirts for like twenty minutes, uh, and we, it froze our butts off, man. But obviously, what he was what he was <laughs> saying was like, get comfortable with being uncomfortable because it's going to yeah. be uncomfortable, and and that that's going to be such an uncomfortable environment for the Dolphins that I think the sooner they can acclimate themselves, the better.
0: one more thing about this game screw the nfl i give a big middle finger to the national football league for making this game only on peacock unless you're in kansas city or unless you're in miami i refuse to do it now i'm not going to be home i'll be at my brother's house maybe he has it in which case that's fine i'll watch it but i'm not i refuse i cannot believe that nfl is doing this i know a lot of people have had some I, i said this on twitter and a lot of pushback people saying oh what's for the european viewers?" The BS. If they have Peacock, they can watch it on NBC. That's not about the European viewer. It's about subscriptions. What was your take when you found out? Because I didn't realize it until uh, when they started talking about the schedule for the wild card round that there was going to be an exclusive game on a streaming service in the playoffs.
1: Yeah, horrible. It's horrible because people will pay for it. Yep. And if it does well, then it'll it'll start a trend. There'll be more of it, and and you're just going to be forced to have to pay more for. Th- things that you're already paying through the nose for. So exactly. yes, I, I agree with you. I hate it
0: for me though. If I'm not saying Steelers for the wild card matchup, because obviously we both have a vested interest in the Steelers game. I'm going with Matthew Stafford, the Rams in Detroit as my game to watch. And I have no vested interest in this game. I have no say in it, winging it. I'm not betting the game. There's just storylines out the wazoo for this game. I mean, you got Stafford back in Detroit. You've got, you know, McVeigh and golf going against one another like this. This is just such a good game. And I feel like it's, it's could be the only game I think on the upcoming slate that could be back and forth up and down. Let's score some points. Let's have some fun. I feel like this is the only game. When I look at the wildcard slate that could turn into a track meet and those are always fun to watch. So that's the one I'm going with catch.
1: Yeah. The, yeah. The NFL script writers nailed that one, right? Yeah. <laughs>
0: You said it, not me. You said it, not me. All right, let's go uh, Let's go to a different direction here. Uh, let's go one player this year's postseason whose career legacy will be affected by either his or his team's
1: performance.
0: So we're looking for a player who needs a strong playoff showing to bolster their career resume. Who do you got?
1: Yeah, I think it's Dak Prescott. I mean, the Cowboys just haven't been very good in the postseason well now for 30 years but it's particularly you know Prescott and his this iteration of the Cowboys has gotten a lot of a lot of press a lot of hype every year they seem to be when teams come out with you know pundits come out with their power rankings the Cowboys are top 3 or 4 yet they're they're two and four in the in Prescott's career in the playoffs and his playoff numbers aren't great he's only around 60% of with his completion percentage and it just it just does. It feels like for, for Dak Prescott to to live up to the hype, Dallas can't simply win a game. They got to get to the NFC Championship game. For me, for me, for for this to be successful, for Dak Prescott and the Cowboys, they they need to get to the to a championship game. Otherwise, for me, they're they're just going to be seen as underachievers. I agree with Dak. Great choice.
0: I couldn't between two players. They're both quarterbacks. I went with. Josh Allen in Buffalo. And I went with Jalen hurts in Philadelphia and not that Jalen hurts. career arc is going to be defined by this playoff season. Cause they, they look bad. Like they look really, really bad and they're banged up. He's banged up with the finger dislocation, but Josh Allen, he's been in the league a while now. People kind of forget that. I think he was 2018 draft pick as well. Um, as with Mason Rudolph, I think they were both drafted in the same draft, not in the same round. And, He's gotten the Buffalo Bills close, but he's never gotten them there. And there's going to come a point where everyone's going to say, is he capable of getting them there? You lose the Pittsburgh in Buffalo to a Mason Rudolph-led Steelers team at home in the wild card round, a team that won't have TJ Watt in the lineup. You lose that game, and there's going to be a lot of people doubting whether Josh Allen has it, the ability to get them over the proverbial hump. So due to Jalen Hurts being so young, I'll go with Josh Allen here. But what's your take on those
1: two guys? Well, first of all, <laughs> you know, I I, uh, I live near Philly and I'm surrounded by Eagles fans. <laughs> Can't wait. Last year, picks. Nick Sariani <laughs> was the man. I mean, yeah. they loved Nick Sariani. My gosh, because he's a Philly guy and he kind of pounds his chest a little bit. And every Philly guy, every Philly fan out there, you know, wanted to build a shrine to this guy. Today, I kid you not, the talk radio is littered with Fire Sirianni callers. You know, Joe from Fishtown is like, "Sirianni sucks. Get him the hell out of here." You know, I mean? like, they are, they are not pleased, and and I don't blame the. I'm not, I'm not. I blame them on the being a bit reactionary with the the Fire Sirianni stuff. But the Eagles totally no showed on Sunday against the Giants. It was embarrassing. They would have done better to sit all of their starters to give themselves the excuse for no showing instead they went out there and they half-assed it and it was really a bad look for Philadelphia and and then Hertz got hurt on top of that so uh I can definitely see Philadelphia going down to Tampa and losing in that in that game and that'll be that'll be bad for the Eagles but as far as Josh Allen goes you're right he cannot lose at home to Mason Rudolph and a banged up Steelers squad uh that is that I think he's in almost in like a lose-lose as far as that goes like, like, if he wins, they're going to be like, great, you beat Mason Rudolph. If, if you lose, it's right. going to be a disaster. So, I think much like Dak Prescott, you're right. He needs to make a, a a bit of a run here. And I think Buffalo not getting to the championship game will be a disappointment for them as well.
0: You know, Philadelphia, I, w- I want to run this by you as a Steeler fan. You'll, you'll definitely get it. Because I said it on uh, the Fans First Football Show on Monday with Rob Stats' career, and I don't know if he understood it. To me, the Philadelphia Eagles are the 2020 Steelers. Remember, the Steelers came out to 11-0, and everyone's like, yes, undefeated. But deep down in the recesses of our brain, we knew it wasn't right. Like This team wasn't really that good. They're not an 11-0 team. They're getting lucky. They're winning these weird games. And what did they do? They just barely got into the playoffs, like just struggled to get in and win the division, and they were one and done. I could see the same fate for the Eagles. But do you see that comparison?
1: Oh, yeah. The Eagles are flawed big time, but – they uh, it, they didn't know it and we didn't know it till about you know halfway through the season. And then all Man. of a sudden, it's almost like when everybody else realized it, it was like open season on Philly. Like, oh, yeah. we, we get it. Yeah. You well, know? sometimes, though, in the NFL is a copycat league. Sometimes teams lay out the script. Here's how you beat them. And then once that happens, everybody piles on and it gets hard to, to reverse the trend.
0: Well, you know, I'm not trying to pound my own chest here, but I've been saying all season that there's something off with Philly. Like, they're winning games, but there's just something that doesn't look – it doesn't pass the eye test, and it's just now catching up to them, so we'll see if they can get their act together. A.J. Brown's knee injury is going to be absolutely critical for their success in Tampa Bay because Mike Evans is still Mike Evans, and Baker Mayfield, if he doesn't turn the ball over, is still a pretty good quarterback. uh, So keep that in mind. All right, enough of that stuff. Let's talk about the team everyone wants to talk about. That's the Pittsburgh Steelers. Let's wrap it up. Talking about the Steelers who get into the playoffs because the Jacksonville Jaguars couldn't beat the Tennessee Titans on the road. Yet, the Steelers lose T.J. Watt to an MCL knee sprain that'll probably, I would say it's a 90% chance that he is not even close to playing. The Steelers are 1-10 without T.J. Watt in their career, and he doesn't play. Does that spell doom for Pittsburgh? Which, by the way, the Pittsburgh Steelers are. Let's talk about the opening line. They are 10-point underdogs. On the road in Buffalo, uh, I'm not saying I would take the Steelers on the money line right now, but I would take the Steelers getting ten. I'll tell you that right now, Coach. What do you think about this team?
1: Um, well, th- this is tricky because the Steelers are playing their best football of the season, and and they've really you know established a formula the last three weeks, which is to not turn the ball over on offense, uh, to be able to run it well and control the clock, and then uh, obviously. You know, to, to find enough answers on defense to keep an offense from, from from beating them. They're they're a smart football team right now. I mean, they're playing smart football. They're they're playing confident football. So so Pittsburgh's in about as good a shape as they can be, given all the injuries that they've suffered going into Buffalo. But Buffalo's also playing their best football of the year. They've won five straight. That they beat Miami down in Miami on Sunday night without playing their best game. That's it. That's a sign of a team that's playing well when you're not, when you're not, when you, you know, Josh Allen turned the ball over several times, made a bunch of mistakes and yet they put it together and they got a huge win to earn themselves that home playoff game. So it's a big ask for the Steelers, no doubt about that. Uh, but yeah. I don't know, man, sometimes, you know, we, you and I have talked about this in the past when the Steelers are the favorite and, and they're, and they're overconfident, they, they underperform. And then sometimes when you, you you expect at least, They turn in these gems and Brian Anthony Davis. I will give Brian credit. He's been saying all year that this year's Steelers remind him of the 1989 Steelers. And Jeff, you're probably a little young to remember that team. Yeah, I was like, Uh, but I mean, I was in college when that team, when that team played, that was a nine and seven Steelers team that went to Houston. They were the fun and gun Oilers with Warren moon at quarterback, uh, running the run and shoot. You know, what's what Jerry Van (laughs) Glanville famously called the Chuck and duck. But, um, they, and they went out there as like 10 12 point underdogs and they and they beat the oilers in in a in a wild card playoff game. So I'm not holding my breath on on that especially with TJ Watt out, but I I wouldn't write the Steelers off. So let me say this about
0: TJ Watt being out and it's again at, at the time of this being recorded it's not officially been ruled out. You know, I'm I'm sure Mike Tomlin would say we'll we'll leave the light on for him. we'll see if he can play. It's not like I doubt he says TJ Watt is out at at, at Tuesday's press conference. But they are, the Steelers are better equipped to handle T.J. Watt's absence this year more so than I think any year that they've ever had T.J. Watt on the roster since 2017. Some might say that the Melvin Ingram year was okay, but they had to trade him away, he goes to Kansas City. And this year, they have Marcus Golden. Obviously, Alex Highsmith still on the roster. And then you have young, young Nick Herbig. And so you have these three pass rushers, all of which do a little bit different. You know, they're all, they're not all the same. Herbig is built more like Watt in terms of his skill set, his athleticism. I'm not saying that it's, they're not going to miss a beat. You don't replace a defensive player of the year like that. But I think they're better equipped to replace him. And when I watch the Bills the last few weeks, the one thing I've noticed is that they've been able to be run on. They, they, they have not been the best tackling team. They're a team sometimes is advantageous in terms of taking the ball away. But they also, they can get gashed on the ground. And what is the Steelers' M.O. right now? Run the rock. Run the rock. Physical play, down your throat, Najee Harris, in between the tackles. They've been doing the trap game. I think they've been really creative in the running game. I've really loved to watch what they've been doing. I'm not saying, again, that I'm predicting a Steelers win, although I will on Friday. But still, it comes down to a situation for me where I look at this Steelers team. They're trending in the right direction. Mason Rudolph has this offense putting up some serious points. And if you're going to win in Buffalo, you're going to have to score points. You're going to have to take the ball away too. So getting Minka Fitzpatrick back might neutralize TJ Watts absence a little bit. Getting Demonte KZ back off suspension might help in the secondary as well. Getting Adrian Peterson back to corner, less Levi Wallace. And let's also not forget Buffalo's banged up too. Uh, sources are saying that Gabe Davis, their wide receiver who torched the Steelers last year in Buffalo suffered a PCL sprain. They're not sure if he's going to be able to play or not. Not going to be hundred percent. I'll tell you that right now. So Stefan Diggs, if he's the only guy they have to worry about Joey Porter jr. Already said he's up for the challenge. Let's bring it on. I don't know, coach. I'm talking myself into it a little bit. You are. You're starting to <laughs> talk
1: me into it a little bit. Yeah. I don't know. They're talking, they're calling for 30 something mile an hour wins in Buffalo, which will make the passing game difficult. and. That, that, that plays into Pittsburgh's hands. So yeah, we might we might be able to get ourselves there by the end of yeah, the
0: week. Absolutely. Oh, I'm there right now. Man, screw the <laughs> end of the week. Hey, I'll say this too. In windy conditions, you want a quarterback with a stronger arm. Josh Allen's able to cut the ball through the wind because he has a strong arm. Mason Rudolph's arm is much stronger than Kenny Pickett. Yeah. So in terms of making those throws into the wind, I feel like Mason Rudolph is better equipped. Do you think Mason Rudolph's magic will wear off or do you think that he'll actually be able to continue to move the Steelers offense in the postseason?
1: No, I think that he's. I think what we're seeing right now is is where Mason Rudolph is as a quarterback. He he has really evolved from the the earlier versions that we saw. And when you watch the film, the thing that's most impressive is how patient he is in the pocket and how well he goes through his progressions. And that's a big deal. The Steelers haven't gotten that. They you know Kenny Pickett really struggled to get to a second read, much less a third read. And, and he also, uh, you know, was not very patient in the pocket. He ran himself into sacks or he ran out of potential big plays at the first sign of pressure. And Mitchell Trubisky was obviously just bad. So so Rudolph is is a significant improvement in quarterback play. And he's playing the type of football that succeeds in the postseason. He, he's making explosive plays and he's protecting the ball. And when you do those two things, combine it with a run game and Pittsburgh's offense is pretty good. Yeah. Last
0: question: Your Omar Khan and Mason Rudolph's a free agent after the season. How aggressive are you trying to get
1: him back? Right now, I'm pretty aggressive. Uh, I because see, I don't know. I don't know. You know, on the inside, behind closed doors, what's the team's real evaluation on Kenny Pickett? I mean, are they do they believe that with a new offensive coordinator uh, and a new system that 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 he can be successful? Because you know, remember they had a first round grade on Mason Rudolph. They picked him in the third round, but they had a first round grade on him, which means that their grade on Rudolph probably wasn't much different than their grade on Pickett, considering Pickett was the 20th pick in the draft. So if all things are equal between those two, I'm i uh, I'm being really aggressive to try to bring him back and make it a quarterback competition.
0: I will say this from the people I know in the organization, it is not 100% sold on Kenny Pickett, meaning not that the whole organization is not 100% in. It's very split. So we'll see what the, what happens if he wins a playoff game. That'll do a a great deal towards getting him back into Pittsburgh and making himself a lot of money. All right, or or, or it'll make
1: him a lot of money somewhere else. Which That's
0: true dangerous. too. That's true too. Very good. All right, let's do a player profile to finish up the show. You want to talk about rookie quarterback C.J. Stroud, who has the Texans in the postseason? Go ahead, coach.
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, I really, I really was thinking about this uh, in terms of talking about the Texans as a whole because what what an amazing job that team did to get to the playoffs. They were three and 13 last year and, and looked like they'd overachieved in winning those three games. And then they cleaned house and they bring in new head coach and new coordinators and a new quarterback. Uh, and they just did an incredible job to get to the, to the, uh, playoffs, but watching that game on Saturday night between Houston and and Indianapolis, I was so impressed with C.J. Stroud's demeanor, I mean, I, I had to remind myself several times I was watching a rookie quarterback because that was basically a playoff game. The winner was going to be in, the loser was most likely going to be out, and and he just was like his body language. I mean, one of the things I always watch with quarterbacks is like how they interact with the rest of the team, their body language, what they look like on the sideline, and at every single moment, the camera was on C.J. Stroud. He looked like a, a leader. He looked like the guy that that team was leaning on and was expecting. Uh, him to, to get it done. You know how like it was when Ben Roethlisberger was in his prime in Pittsburgh, you know, in a close game, in a big game, you just felt like Ben's going to get it done. Steelers are going to win because Ben's going to make a big play in the end and come right. through. And as you watch that game, I just kept thinking the same thing. CJ Stroud's going to get this done for Houston. And sure enough, he did. And then after the game, you know, he just was, he was emotional. He just, it just, fe- it just felt like, man, this guy is so invested. This guy is all the way in. He's going to be the rookie of the year. He threw for over 4,000 yards. His stats for a rookie are through the roof. But more than the statistics, it was just his presence and his demeanor that when I watched it, I thought to myself, this dude's he's a franchise guy, and he's going to be a force for a long time.
0: I think something that people forget about the Texans is that they are a really beat-up team as well. They make the post. Their offensive line was, at one point, just a mixed bag of goods. I mean, they had Kendrick Green, former Steeler on there. He's done for the year. Uh, let's also not forget that tank Dell one of a very productive receiver. He gets hurt. So he's not available in the second half of the season. You know, it, it's a situation where it's, it is not, you're right. It's not just CJ Stroud, but he is definitely the catalyst for that team. And it will be exciting to watch. I'd love to see him go into Cleveland and beat the Browns. It's time for Joe Flacco to turn back into a pumpkin. So, uh, we'll see about that. Uh, <laughs> coach, any other thoughts about the wildcard weekend?
1: No, it's going to be great. It's going to be a great weekend uh, a weekend of games. This is wild card weekend and divisional weekend. Those two back-to-back are my two favorite weekends of the NFL season just because you have so many games, and they're usually really good. So I can't wait to bunker in and watch.
0: It's going to be a lot of fun. Hopefully, next time we talk, we'll be talking about the Steelers in Baltimore for the divisional round, which is where they would go if they beat the Bills. I say bring that junk on. Let's go. All right, Coach. Uh, Thank you. Hey, what's coming up on the call sheet before I let you go?
1: Yeah, so interestingly, the you know, the call sheet, I mean, we're going to obviously talk a little bit about the playoffs, but I'm going to spend some time talking about what happened at the end of the Saints-Falcons game
0: with oh. James Winston,
1: uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about that dynamic. What does that say about the head coach and, and, and uh, his command of his football team? Was that disrespectful? Uh, I think that that's a really interesting, you know, little encounter there that speaks volumes about. A lot of the the actors that were, that were involved there, so we're going to talk about that. And then, Steeler fans, I'm going to do a film breakdown, like preview of the Pittsburgh Buffalo game, and mm-hmm. and come up with some ways in which the Steelers can can beat the Bills uh, as a video breakdown on our on our YouTube channel.
0: Love it. So make sure you check it out, Steel Curtain Network on YouTube. His work can also be found at steelcurtainnetwork.com, fansforsports.com. Where can they find you on Twitter, Coach?
1: Uh, at KT Smith, FFSN.
0: All right. You can find me at Jay Hartman, H E R T M A N underscore P I T. In the meantime, coach, thanks for your time. We'll talk next week. Take it easy.
1: Yes, sir.